Welcome. From the banks of the Rappahannock River, on the campus of St. Margaret School in Tappahannock, Virginia, I am Autumn Courtney, and this is the Daily Thistle for Monday, January 17th, 2022. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Born on January 15th, 1929, King would become an American Baptist minister and activist who be the most visible spokesman and leader in the American Civil Rights Movement from 1955 until his assassination in 1968. I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride But something touched me deep inside the day The music died his leadership was fundamental to ending the legal segregation of African Americans in the United States. Dr. King rose to national prominence as head of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which promoted nonviolent tactics to achieve civil rights, such as the March on Washington in 1963. He was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. In 1961, he sat down to speak of his life, leadership, and his nonviolent approach with the BBC. We share excerpts from that interview with the BBC correspondent John Freeman and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. From the BBC, this is Reverend King. You spoke a moment ago about having been thrust forward into this position of leadership. How exactly did it happen? Why are you at 32 virtually the leader of the Negroes in the United States? Well, I started out as a pastor in Montgomery, Alabama, which uh, uh, is a state that adjoins the state of Georgia. Uh, after I finished my graduate work in Boston, I returned to Montgomery to pastor a church. After I had been in Montgomery about a year, uh, we had the problem there of uh, facing many indignities and injustices on the city buses. Uh, Negroes were treated in a very discourteous manner. The bus drivers usually talked to Negro passengers in a very inhuman way. Uh, not only that, uh, if one had visited Montgomery, Alabama prior to 1955, December of 1955, uh, he would have seen Negro passengers actually standing over empty seats. Uh, this was because uh, the first ten seats were reserved for whites only. And even uh, if Negro passengers uh, packed the buses and the other seats and uh, uh, there were no more seats left other than these seats reserved for whites only, Negro passengers could not sit there. So they had to stand over these seats even if a white passenger was not on the bus. Not only that, there were times when Negro passengers got on the buses at the front and put the fare in the box, and then they had to get off the bus and board by the, uh, the rear entrance. These were some of the conditions that existed. And uh, on the 5th of December uh, in 1955, a Negro woman was arrested, a Mrs. Rosa Parks, for refusing to give up her seat for a boarding white male passenger. Pretty soon after she was arrested, the word got around the Montgomery community, uh, and there was a, a spontaneous reaction. 
I think I could say safely that uh, more than 99% of the Negro people of Montgomery rose up with a bit of uh, indignation, righteous indignation, I would say. And this uh, led uh, to the bus boycott. The Negro citizens decided not to ride the buses until these conditions were changed. They asked me to serve as a spokesman and the president of the Montgomery Improvement Association. And from this time, I found myself in uh, a leadership position in the civil rights struggle. And the bus boycott was, of course, a startling success under your leadership. Yes, uh, we struggled for 381 days, but at the end of that, we returned to thoroughly integrated buses, and they are integrated today in Montgomery. Have you, during this period, which must have been one of very great strain for you, have you felt frightened and even very lonely in your position of leadership? Yes, at times. I think uh, honesty impels me to admit that there have been those times that I actually confronted fear. Uh, I don't think anyone in a situation like this can go through it without confronting moments of real fear. But uh, I have always had something that uh, gave me an inner sense of assurance and an inner sense of security. And in the final analysis, even in the moments of loneliness, uh, something ultimately came to remind me that, that in this struggle, because it is basically right, because it is a thrust forward to achieve something not just for Negro people, but something that will save the whole of mankind. Uh, and when I have come to see these things, uh, I always felt a, a sense of cosmic companionship so that the loneliness and the fear have faded away because of a greater uh, feeling of security because of commitment to a moral ideal. Does that carry you as far as feeling total confidence in yourself? For instance, for better or worse, you've become the symbol now of Negro emancipation in the southern states. Now, are you an adequate symbol? Do you feel that you're adequate? Well, again, I must confess that uh, there are those moments when I feel a sense of inadequacy as a symbol. Uh, it is never easy for, for one to accept the role of uh, symbolism without going through constant moments of self-examination. And uh, I must confess that there are moments when I begin to wonder uh, whether I am adequate or whether whether I'm able to, to face all of the challenges and even the responsibilities uh, of this particular position. Have you always found that you've been able to keep your wife and children with you, or have you ever felt it necessary to send them away for safety? There have been times that uh, I have had to send them away for safety, particularly when we were in the state of Alabama. Uh, but my wife happens to be one of those very strong persons and one who is very concerned about this whole matter and very dedicated. And I can remember moments when I sent her away for safety. Uh, I would look up a few days later and she was back home because she wanted to be there. I understand exactly why you believe in nonviolence, but have you found it easy to persuade your followers that nonviolence is really the best method? I mean, there must be a great temptation to take a poke back at a white man who hits you. That is true that uh, <clears throat> it is difficult at times to uh, convince people that this is the best way. 
Uh, and I guess it is difficult for all of us uh, not to retaliate. But on the whole, I have been amazed at the uh, tremendous uh, response that we have gained uh, when we have called for nonviolent action. Uh, I, I look back over Montgomery and think of the fact that for all of these days, 381 days, uh, more than 99 and 9 tenths percent of the Negro uh, citizens participated in the boycott. They confronted uh, harassing experiences. They confronted physical violence. And never did they retaliate with a single act of physical violence. And uh, the same is true of the student sit-in movement, which included thousands of students. Uh, not a single, uh, well, I would say very few, uh, retaliated with physical violence. So that uh, even though it is difficult, I think we have been able to get this method over. Uh, in a most significant way. Dr. King, apart from the business of discrimination, are you a radical in other causes? Do you follow the other great radical political causes in the world or not? Well, I'm not sure uh, what cause you... Are you concerned, for instance, with, with let's say, the, the abolishing of nuclear weapons? Oh, yes. I have uh, worked very closely uh, with uh, this uh, particular approach. I have worked uh, with uh, an organization for sane nuclear policy in the United States, uh, and I am a strong believer in disarmament and suspension of nuclear tests and uh, some methods uh, being used to arouse the conscience of mankind on this most important issue. As I've said so often, uh, I don't think the choice is any longer between violence and non-violence in a day when guided ballistic missiles are carving highways of death uh, through the stratosphere. I think now it is a choice between non-violence and non-existence so that I have strongly endorsed uh, organizations that are fighting or struggling in a creative non-violent way to arouse the conscience of mankind on this issue. Well now let me put to you a, a last question. You could live and work in many parts of the world where you'd be discriminated against much less than you are in the United States. You are, I suspect, a patriotic American citizen and you probably don't propose to live anywhere but the United States. Now, will you tell me why? Well, I can only say that uh, the United States is home for me. I was uh, born there and uh, in spite of its shortcomings, uh, naturally, there are things in the United States that I love and people that I love. Uh, I think we have uh, a great tradition, ideally. The democratic creed is a marvelous one. And uh, my work is simply an attempt to say to America that uh, you have a marvelous ideal and uh, you should live up to it. And so when the students sit down at lunch counters and I have decided to join with them, uh, I felt that we were in reality standing up for the best in the American dream and certainly the best uh, in the dream of all mankind for peace and brotherhood. So I live there with the feeling uh, that we are moving in the right direction and uh, with the feeling that uh, this problem can be solved in the United States if enough people give themselves to it, if they devote their lives to breaking down all of the barriers that separate men from men on the basis of race or color. That was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s interview with the BBC correspondent. 
the late John Freeman in 1961. In news from the BBC. BBC News with Danielle Jawowiecka. Australia and New Zealand have sent reconnaissance flights to the island nation of Tonga to carry out a survey of the damage caused by Saturday's massive volcanic eruption and tsunami. Some communications have now been restored, but there's little news from many of the outer islands of the archipelago. Another eruption has now been reported. President Biden has called Saturday's hostage standoff in Texas an act of terror. He appeared to confirm that the hostage-taker, who was killed, had demanded the release from prison of a convicted jihadist. The four hostages escaped unharmed. The man who held them has been identified as a British citizen. North Korea has fired a missile into the Sea of Japan, its fourth launch this month. South Korean and Japanese military units detected the missile, but it's not yet known what type of weapon was being tested. Earlier this month, North Korea claimed to have successfully launched two hypersonic missiles. China's economy grew by 4% in the last quarter of 2021, its slowest rate of expansion since the unwinding of the coronavirus lockdown 18 months ago. Across the year, the rate of growth was just over 8%. And one of the most decorated African-American military pilots, Charles McGee, has died aged 102. An original member of the Tuskegee Airmen, an all-black fighter squadron formed during the Second World War, Charles McGee also campaigned against segregation in the military. BBC News. On the river today, the sun will rise at 7.20 a.m. and set at 5.18 p.m. We will see a high tide at 9.10 a.m. and a low tide at 4.41 p.m. A high tide will return at 11.43 p.m. It will be a full moon. In weather today, there will be a mix of clouds and sun early, then becoming cloudy later in the day. The high will be 44 degrees Fahrenheit and winds will be gusting from the southwest at 10 to 20 miles per hour. Remember, you're listening to the nation's only independent school news feed from the banks of the Rappahannock River, here from the campus of St. Margaret's School in Tappahannock, Virginia. Oh, and as I watched him on the stage, my hands were clenched in fists of rage. And I asked her for some happy news But she just smiled and turned away I went down to the sacred store Where I'd heard the music years before But the man there said the music wouldn't play And in the streets the children screamed The lovers cried and the poets dreamed But not a word was spoken The church bells all were broken And the three men I admire most The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost 
They caught the last train for the coast The day the music died And they were singing Bye-bye, Miss American Pie Drove my Chevy to the levee But the levee was dry And them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye I am Autumn Courtney, and this was your Daily Thistle. As you grow in age, may you grow in grace. They were singing, bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye. Singing, this will be the day that I die.